0: I'm Bianca Vivion, and this is Ask Viv, Episode 35. It's just something about the fives and the tens. It gives me this sense of accomplishment, a roundness, a wholeness like nothing else. And I thank you all for joining me once again. Free falling. I have been free falling. And I've been having a difficult time. And I know many of us are having a difficult time because I read your letters. And it's a season for many of us of toil. The last episode was on warring and trying to figure out the best way to war. And now I'm not just warring anymore, right? I'm losing. I'm losing. And so why did I call this episode Untethered? I'm one of those people, I'm tenacious. I've always been a fighter and a hustler. And when life has knocked me down, as it so often has, I have a tendency to get right back up. And when I was younger, I was looking for a fight all the time. It was part of the thing that kept me going, where I would be knocked out and for some reason just adrenaline I would get right back up and I'd be ready to start swinging because I had something so desperately to prove about my own self-worth and I didn't know where to get dignity from because in my own eyes I wasn't important and I was far far from rich and I didn't think I was beautiful but I was a junkyard dog (laughs) when it came to a fight and I was saying Whatever I say I'm going to do, I'm going to do it. And that was for better or for worse. And it was nice having this sort of youthful arrogance and having that tenacity and having that energy that if you get knocked down, you just get right back up. And I think that I was running on this dream that I had for my life a dream of the way that I thought things would be and the things that I thought I would be able to do. And it was that dream that bred that fight in me that I could take a thousand losses. I used to say, the only difference between a winner and a loser is that a winner fights until he wins. Similar to a saying that my father used to say to me all the time growing up, he'd say, "Be the only difference between a con man and a salesman is that at the end of a sale, a salesman delivers the goods. And so that's how I viewed my life. And I had these simple rules of what it took to win. And it was very easy to recognize my enemies, right? Because it was the people that doubted me and the people that used me and made me feel small. And I said, I'm gonna show them. And so I was grounded I was tethered to these characters and these mantras and these rules and I lived in that lane so well and I found my success there and I said as long as you keep fighting you'll win but life the older that we get it betrays us because now I'm warring for the thing that I so desperately dreamed of. And I'm winning because I have the dream, so to speak. I materialized the vision that was in my mind and I made it. God and I made it a reality. A lived, tangible, seeable, touchable thing with lots of moving parts, lots of players and lots of entities. And yet I'm fighting every day. Fighting a level of exploitation, fighting exhaustion, fighting my own ignorance of all of the parts of this journey that I do not understand. And yet, a level of excellence is being demanded of me and a strength that I feel waning, both emotionally and professionally, but also physically. Being so physically weak for the past few Weeks where I could not keep any food down and I couldn't sleep. And stressing constantly, having panic attacks, having difficulty breathing, using my inhaler for the first time in many years, just not doing physically well. And yet all I hear constantly is congratulations, is I'm so proud of you, is oh, you must feel so good. And I'm warring and I'm winning because I'm doing well. But the dissolution of my spirit, the degrading of my personal dignity behind closed doors, the isolation and the loneliness means that I'm doing well poorly. And so in my eyes, in my mind, in my heart, I'm failing. I'm really failing and I'm untethered now because what would get me up whenever I was being knocked down was this dream. This thing that lived way in the distance, just beyond the horizon, was the thing that I used to cope. That I said, okay, things are bad now, and I would lose love, and I would be betrayed in friendships, but I would say one day, one day things are going to be different. And I was tethered in that hope, in that expectation, and it kept me going. Beyond just being tethered in a dream and a hope of expectation, I was tethered to my ego that said, well, you're brilliant. People want you. People want to be like you. And anything that would push back against my ego, I would recoil like a snake. And I would say, I would call that thing an enemy. And I would work to destroy that thing that made me feel less than. But now it's so much more convoluted. The same people that will be calling me brilliant and talented will be the people that will exploit me for that talent where the same entities that will be calling me beautiful is the same source of my bodily insecurity. And so you wonder, is this an enemy? Is this a friend? Do I war? Do I love? How do I navigate now a situation in which life is not playing by the rules that I had established for so long? What do I believe now? Where do I stand now? And you know, I said, even in the last episode, in warring, you just have to learn to place one foot in front of the other. But even that has become such a mammoth task, trying to just put one foot in front of the other. And if I can't rely on the dream, and I can't rely on ego And I can't even call up the lovers that I used to call for just a quick sense of security and peace, pleasure. Then the last resort, the last resort I have is faith. But now this, this is the deepest crisis that I face. I say, God, why was this the dream? And that's when I start falling. That's when I fully lose my grounding because i say we made a pact and you instilled in me this vision and you told me execute it by any means necessary and i surmounted so much loss in trying to do so and then i went back and justified those losses against the pledge of this dream <laughs> and this dream is killing me to such an extent that now God, you and I, we have to have a conversation because I'm warring and I'm losing now. And I should pray, but I don't want to pray because I feel tricked. Like all the youth that this has cost me, all the friendships, all the time, all the sacrifices. And I'm not feeling good about what I do or who I am. And I don't know where to put my hands because work does not give me the sense of validation that it once did. And I don't know where to put my body because now I know what I was counting on is not love. And I can't even get out of my head for long enough to enjoy whatever shallow vapid version of romance I thought I might need. And so I'm falling and I'm failing and I'm angry and I'm bitter. And i said now we we have to address this god like it's just you and i and we have to address this because it's aging me and now it's stressing me to the point where i can see it my hair is thinning my body's giving out i find myself tired when i shouldn't be tired nauseous and aching and anxious longing and irritable and i'm just looking for something to grab onto i'm in a dark room rubbing against the wall, trying to find the light switch, a solid place to stand is what I'm looking for, what so many of us are looking for. And the friends that I might call, they rush me off the phone. And the parents I've always needed, they don't have the answers as they seldom do. And the bitterness, the spiritual bitterness of it all is to say, God, I can't see the good in this i've been exploited and used my whole life and i learned so much from that suffering from that pain i've learned so much from heartbreak i've learned so much from failure in career i've learned so much from being broke and being broken and i said god didn't i pass it on didn't i get on a microphone and sing my sorrows, didn't I, about all the humiliation and the heartbreak, didn't I do what I was supposed to do? So why? And a lot of us are thinking like, I should have been further. And this thing that's getting to me, it shouldn't get to me to this extent. And the people that are standing over me, wielding power over me, shouldn't be the people doing that. Not when I'm so smart, (laughs) so strong. And we begin to map out the past and just say, where did I go wrong? And so you say, God, either you're cruel and this is more than I can bear. This is excessive and I'm angry at you. Or you say, God, these people got me twisted and bent over and they're laughing at you because I'm living now. At a loss. So it's not adding up now. And all of these things compounded leave me untethered. Untethered to confidence. Untethered to success. Too exhausted to be ambitious and untethered to my own faith. What's the solution? (laughs) Well, I came upon it quite suddenly yesterday. So strange. It almost took me out. I knew it was Revelation, because it almost took me the hell out. And I remembered a game I used to play. It was called UNCLE. Two people, and you took your raw knuckle, and you slammed your knuckle into someone else's. And it hurt so badly. And the kids would just keep doing this. You would just pound and pound and pound one another's hands. And when you got to a point where you couldn't take any more, you say, uncle. And there were variations of this game. Sometimes it was the pounding of knuckles. Sometimes it was an arm twisted behind your back. But the whole point is that it was relentless. And the whole point for the winner is you knew you could not win. You were going to lose. But was to hold out for as long as possible until your pain tolerance you could show i'm strong i don't feel a thing and when you hit that point you say uncle and it was not about winners and losers and it wasn't about victims and perpetrators it was about the strong and resilient versus the cowardly and the weak and I thought of this, suddenly I was in the shower and I remembered this game, how quickly I'd bow out of it. And I realized what I've been doing in this time of my life, what I was doing, even when I last joined you with this episode, War Strategies, is I was hitting back, <laughs> hitting back. I would, life was hitting and I was hitting back and we were hitting and hitting back. And it was this childlike arrogance and this ego. I refused to say, uncle, I just would not do it. Why? Because I wanted to win. Why? Because we are taught, especially the ambitious and the golden children and the successful of us are taught to view most things in life as either successes or failures. And it's how we cope with pain because we can't view things as simply experiences. If good things happen to bad people, we wanna know why. If bad things happen for good people, we wanna know why. And we wanna be able to grasp every experience, heartbreak, dreams, career success. We wanna be able to map it out as an accomplishment or a failure because the humility it takes the patience it takes the willingness it takes to say i don't understand this is a little bit beyond my grasp this is just above my pay grade we will not submit to experience to just say what it is is what it is what it will be it will be and so when life hits we hit back and i was just trying to hold out and use all of my limited knowledge experiential wisdom to say i'm fighting and i'm trying and then suddenly i realize in all of my falling and flailing gracelessly arrogantly angrily ugly failing god was saying to me say uncle i think if i could put it you know for my Christian friends, that moment where Job says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. In Islam we say, for Allah is wise, and the clement, and the all-knowing, all-seeing. God was saying to me, just admit it. Just admit, you're not as powerful as you thought you were. Not in your body, not in your mind, and you don't know. And if it's up to your sheer willpower, your know-how, your connections, your wit, and your ability, you will fail. Just admit that your intentions were not so good. (laughs) Because what I would do is I would lie to myself and I would say, Well, God, why am I suffering a dream that I only pursued for the good of other people anyway? Because I just wanted to help people and enlighten people and unburden people and lift the load. But now I'm talking about contracts. I'm talking about money. I'm talking about fame. If it was all just for the good of others, those conversations would have never arisen in the first place. I say, well, I just want a little bit of light romance with a good person who sees me and can talk to me. But now I'm talking about expensive dates, arguing in hotel rooms and on boats, Now I'm looking at you with strange eyes, talking about what is beneficial to me. And God is just saying, admit it. I'm not as good as I thought I was. And maybe all the suffering I face, not all of it, not by a long shot, but a decent amount of it, I derive from my own two hands. Maybe I'm complicit in a lot of what threatens to undo me. God is saying, admit it. Why? Because the truth is the only real thing we have to stand on. And yet it's the most difficult, sharp-edged thing to grasp. And when we get into this mode of bare survival that makes us into petulant and frustrated children, we fear the consequences of the truth the way that children fear consequences of the truth. And life is asking us, tell the truth. Tell the truth about your agenda. We tell ourselves, we'll submit. We'll give everything. We'll sacrifice for the life we want and the love we want and the job we want. But when the costs start mounting, we want to renege on our promise because I'm not that strong. And I'm more insecure than I'm letting on by a long shot. And God was saying, just say, uncle, just admit it. And my ego, so tethered in this battle of self, I could not admit it. I did not want to admit that I was incapable of bearing the weight of my own life and my inability to admit it, it made me sick of myself. It made me sick of all the people bringing me bad news and half-hearted love and half ass excuses and lackluster friendship. It made me sick of them, but not as sick as I've been of me. (laughs) Me who is falling, me who is failing. We want to affirm, affirm, affirm. Every day we wanna say, I am strong, I am wealthy, I am larger than life, and I am more than what they've made out of me. And we get so used to affirming, But then we get to these crossroads in our lives where affirmations don't help. And so what does admittance do that affirmation does not do? That is the key question. What happens when we say, I'm ill-equipped for the road ahead? I'm ignorant and base and my desires are not so altruistic, charitable or generous as they are selfish, self-centered, lustful. Rooted in ambition and greed that is reflected in an environment, the only one I've ever known. God, what do I do? I can't admit it. And all those things I wanted to grasp onto that I thought would keep me up and get me over and hold my hand are dissipating so quickly. And I can't use them to validate who I think I am. And what you're asking deal with who you really are. And I can't deal with who I am because I'm sick of myself. And then suddenly in a fit of crying and desperation and sadness, I said, I admit it. I said, just break the chain. I admit it, I am failing. And I can't get myself out of this one. I'm in a dream with no enjoyment, which feels like the darkest nightmare. looking over in my bed to a man, I say, I don't mean a thing to you, do I? I'm looking in the mirror, all the beauty in the world, and it's not enough. The mask is not enough to hold over dealing with the truth of who I really am. And I don't have a hand in the world to hold. I said, God, I admit it. The other day, my therapist said something so brilliant to me I told her, I feel exploited. I feel so used, so without support. And I said, worse yet, it's not even like when I was younger, when I was used and then discarded. People would take my talent and my brilliance and throw it to the wayside. Men would take my body and my time, then throw it to the wayside. And I said, at least then I was left to deal with myself, with the truth and reality that I was alone, And I had some real work to do. I said, now they won't even let me go. And I feel sometimes like a circus monkey or a Joseon Dynasty vase that they are locking up in the Met. Cause it's like, you're gonna use me, but you won't even let me go. Now you want to shackle me to commitments, to contracts. You want titles. So you see me in all that I am but not enough to respect me and damn sure not enough to love me. And I asked my therapist, I said, how do you step outside the brutality of the transactional nature of the give and take of this world? And she said, Bianca, we live in capitalism. And the brunt of this system is that it turns everybody into either a victim or a perpetrator. And she said, right now, how you feel, you feel like you've been victimized. And you're not looking around and seeing coworkers or lovers, neighbors or friends. You're seeing perpetrator, victim, used, user, taker, taken. And she said, But you can step outside of that. You can choose to step outside of that. I said, How do you step outside of it? when you feel like it's got such a hold on who you are? And the answer is to not believe in it. Sometimes we conform ourselves to this world, to the expectations of the jobs and relationships that we feel bound to. And they fail to meet our needs to such an extent that we feel broken. But that's because we place such a bulwark of our belief in these systems. And I think that's what God had been trying to show me. He said, Just admit it, your career, your romantic life, your friendships, at somewhere along the way you started to believe in them. Believe if you gave yourself to these things, they would give you what you needed. They would see you for who you are. They would uplift you and you would uplift them. And that, strangely enough, is an insidious kind of idolatry. And I got up this morning and suddenly with a great sense of resignation of saying, "Okay, so I'm failing, then let me fail. And if I miss the deadline because I'm tired, then it's just going to be missed. And if I don't answer the phone, I just won't answer the phone. And if all I do today is answer a few emails, make my bed, play a game of tennis, do a little grocery shopping, and finish one chapter of a book I might never get to the end of. Let that be the day. And I step outside of viewing everything as an accomplishment or a failure. To say, I am walking through this life, sometimes so blindly. Sometimes I get so angry at the way that I'm treated. And it's okay to be angry. And I see these systems and the way that they are and the way that people choose how to express or not express the way that they feel, how they decide my worth, my value, and the only control I have. If I'm contractually bound and I must participate and some things I can, but many things I cannot walk away from, at least don't let me believe in it. At least don't let me bind my self-worth my mental fortitude, and worse yet, my faith, at least don't let me believe in it. And if I have to walk free-falling, hollow, and weak through my days, okay. But at least I know the truth about what things are and what they are not. And at least something inside of me says, save the best of you for the things that align with what you believe in be grounded in the knowledge of what is real. I get a call from my sisters who love me and I can pour all of the joy and the sadness and the heartbreak of my days into those conversations. And that's a place to stand. And sometimes my body gets so weak and I get so sickly frustrated at the treason of my own members of my body. But then I say, take your vitamins, and I make a good home-cooked meal with plenty of vegetables and I get 10 hours of sleep and that's something to stand on. And when I'm met with the reality, someone who I care about and I say, wow, I don't mean a thing to you. You're not good for me. And I stop answering the phone and I walk away and I'm alone again, but I know what's real and that's something to stand on and it's not the mountaintop it's not the grammy stage it's not the graduation it's not prom night it's not the wedding it's what's real though and it's for these times so many of us are in when you're warring and you're losing when you're falling and you're trying to grasp onto the everlasting hand and god is just saying admit it admit it And I will give you peace, peace. I haven't gotten to the wealth or the glory, the mind boggling love, the fame, or any of the shit the world was selling that came up so short. But in the admission of my own inadequacies and in the attempt to act like I have some good sense, to remember to make my bed and breathe, To not believe in too much what people think of me or even what I think of them. To remember to say my prayers and call my mom. To place things in their proper order, where it's not all about life and career, ambition and the next steps, but to remember that thing inside of me that must be fed, both physically and spiritually, the basics, back to the very basics. And I hold on to what the little wisdom I really have and the hard earned truth that I know that I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm not what I used to be. That I am trying desperately to make a good life that I think I deserve for the best of who I am. That there is mercy for the rest of who I am and the worst of who I am. And that gives me a little bit of peace and I am tethering myself to that peace. And in this new month of life, I'm gonna call myself grounded. And if you're going through what I'm going through, which I know you are, I wish you peace, peace for right now, in the middle of a war, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a loss, in the reality of loneliness, isolation, heartbreak, calamity, inflation and all of the evil that the world deals in constantly. Just some peace. And I say, let us anchor ourselves, tether ourselves to peace. And from that peace, may we find hope for joy and abundance, for success, and for a life we can believe in and be proud of and not feel so dissolved and compromised for, not so twisted, bent over, and falling. I wish you peace. Dear Viv, what does it mean when a guy says he loves you because he feels it but gives no explanation? There are many reasons why people do not explain their feelings to us. And I think one of the very frequent, albeit wrong, assumptions that we make is that people know themselves why they feel how they feel. I know this as somebody that's constantly being touted as someone that has conviction, able to express my feelings easily or at least find avenues of reason and communication to express my confusion in the absence of my own understanding. And this is considered brilliance. Just to be able to do that for me has made me a career and a talent. So the average person being able to say, this is how I feel, This is why I feel that way. This is when I began to feel this way. And it's because of this part of my character or this part of my childhood that's expressing itself through this emotion, this action. That is a high level of emotional intelligence that most people don't have. And the people I know that do have it usually have gone through so much therapy. The reality of it is, is that many of us are so ill-equipped and we find ourselves stuck when we're asked to explain how we feel. And so if we cease focusing on what it means when someone says they just love you because they feel it, I think it's a better question to ask what your real intentions are, what you're looking for when you ask that question. I've dated really loquacious men who could tell me their favorite feature of mine, how they loved how I talked, my, their favorite work that I've done, how they love the way I dress, the dishes that I make. And yet that did not reflect in the quality of love that I got or felt when it came to the real measure of love, which is sacrifice. They didn't give up a thing. And then I've had lovers, not talkers at all. Difficulty stringing together sentences, shy, reserved, anxious types, where the more they have to talk, the more nervous they become. But when I needed them, oh, when I needed them, present, here, offering what they had and even some of what they didn't. And it showed me something. We have to believe the way people treat us. And we have to do this for two reasons. One, so that we know the truth and we are grounded in the reality of a situation. I say, I see your willingness to communicate. I see if you show up when you say you'll show up. I see what your word means to you. I see your gestures of kindness, affection, charity, honesty. I see if you're complimentary or insulting. I see if you're patient or impatient. I see if you're generous or stingy. And I believe that. We really, the second step after we acknowledge it is to believe it. Because if we believe it, then we don't have to ask. Oh, do you love me? How do you know? There's men who didn't tell me they loved me for a very long time, but I knew they loved me to the point where it would almost make me laugh. I would say to myself, wow, really loves me i wonder if he knows it because i was being so loved that it wasn't a question of explain yourself to me and after we believe how people treat us we believe this is hurtful or this is a good thing then we have to turn a mirror on ourselves and say can i accept the expression of this love without manipulating or domineering the form that it comes in. And we have to ask ourselves why? Because almost always the why reveals a lack or an insecurity in a relationship. I remember I had a boyfriend. I was 21 years old and he got me really nice gifts. I mean designer luggage, trips, tennis gear, bracelets earrings, iPhones. He always got me a nice gift for whatever the occasion was. And I remember one holiday, I was like, just write me a letter. Just write me a letter. I was begging him to write me a letter. And I think I remember finally, after maybe three holidays, birthdays, Valentine's days, all these things went by, Christmas came around and he gave me a letter. And it was a short, sweet letter. I don't remember even now what it says, which is very funny. And I think back now why I was so hell-bent, despite all of his efforts at showing and proving his affection through material things, through time, through words of affirmation, I wanted something that I knew he had to pull out of himself to express to me. It's not because I had never gotten a letter before, I've gotten so many, many I've thrown away meaning I folded up and put in a box still lives in the back of my closet somewhere. It was that I didn't believe in our love. That's the truth of it. And I needed something that I thought the way I believe words, and I've always been someone, I've told you all this often, I cling to what people say. And I thought if he would just say it, I'll believe it. And I could build trust that was not there and evoke confidence in our unit that was not there. If he would just say what I needed him to say. And this is, this is what we want, right? When we feel we don't have a leg to stand on. When we have one foot in and out the door. We're just looking for that one thing that proves this is not a trick of the mind. This is really love, isn't it? And we think that words are going to do all that work. It's a joke. But it's not funny. The extent to which I, as a writer, do not trust language. In some ways, what we say is what we want to tether ourselves to, right? The promises, the commitments, the covenants, the declarations, the pillow talks. We want to believe what people say. And we need good words, especially given all of the weight of the damage that harmful words can do but we have to tell ourselves the truth of what we see and what we feel. And if we can deal with the truth of the way that people treat us, of what we know, this feels good. This doesn't feel good. This is right and wrong. This person will not change. When we tell ourselves the truth, we won't cling and wait for an answer so desperately. I recently, cut someone off. And later on, I was sort of just blabbing, gossiping about it to a friend. And my friend says, well, did you try to communicate? It could all be a miscommunication. You have to give them a chance to explain themselves. And I said, why should I? (laughs) I said, maybe it's a miscommunication between them and I, but I believe how I feel. And there is no discord. or misunderstanding amongst me and myself. And I think that's because I don't need language the way I once did. Because almost always when I came to a crossroads, will I stay or will I go? If I asked for an explanation knowing I needed to leave, it was because I was looking for someone to talk me out of my own good judgment. Just tell me you've changed. Just tell me next time things will be different. And we owe it to ourselves to tell ourselves the truth so that when we get into the murky area, the gray area of confusion, manipulation, inadequate language, or maybe just being in love with someone who doesn't have the words, at least we can still have the truth. And that's something more often than not, we can give ourselves dear viv how do you deal with people with extremely massive egos who are swollen and arrogant that is the way of life now but it's so hard to live amongst consistent boasting the only solution it seems is to isolate one thing that's really baffled me recently i have so many friends that they speak to me in private about the nature of their relationships and the ways that they fall short Or that they compromise them deeply. And then when I see how they are in real life, in public life rather, they're staying. They're always staying. I spend so much of my life leaving people behind. All the time leaving. And oftentimes without a thought about it. I say, well this can't go on any longer. This doesn't serve me. Or even this is a distraction. Or you frustrate me. Or you irritate me. Recently, I saw somebody and I've known this person since I was 18 years old. And after just a long night of sort of observing the way they spoke to me, what they thought of me, how we were together. They said to me, listen, I'm having a party on Friday. This was Wednesday when I saw them. They said, so make sure you come to the party. I said, listen, I may see you at the party on Friday or I may never see you again. And I gave him a hug and I walked out the door. And that was that. Why did I do that? (laughs) Because really on my mind, it really was, I might deal with this again in 48 hours, or I might very well never, ever deal with this again. Why do people deal with people that they don't like? Sure, maybe some people you just have to navigate. They're in your ecosystem. This is your coworker, neighbor, mutual friend, and you find yourself consistently around them. You have to understand one thing about people that boast or that try to make you feel small, big exhibitionist, is that they're usually in a personal crisis. They're having a difficult time. And because they don't know how to internalize, which a lot of people, the anxious amongst us, the nervous, quiet ones who shut down and sort of wallow in their sadness, we deem them more acceptable because those people internalize their pain and punish themselves with their fears of inadequacy. But then you get the egoist, those people that project outward. And we want to punish them more because we say, well, now you're making me deal with who you are. But those people too are in a crisis. I've seen people that emphasize, emphasize, emphasize the amount of money they have, the status, or education that they have, how good they are, how much smarter they are or well-equipped. And just like in my own life, when I've had those moments, it was always because there was something I was being blocked from doing or something I wanted that I could not have, something that felt inaccessible to me, And because I could not gain or grasp that thing, I took the thing that was most readily accessible, which was this thing we're calling ego, and I used that to punish people around me for what I felt I was entitled to that I did not have. And the only way I was able to fix that internally was to realize, one, I have what I need. And the things that i deeply desire are accessible to me over time and two i don't want to punish people for what i feel i don't want to externalize with judgment or terrorize people with my accomplishments or who i believe i am i just want to find a way to be well real solutions real meditative holistic, constructive solutions to the internal crises I was dealing with. And do people have to stick around while I go through that process? No, not at all. Do I stick around while other people go through that process? Not usually, no. Why? Because it can take a very, very, very long time. And usually the better people are doing materially the more reluctant they are to enter those processes. I'll say it like my wealthy friends, they have difficulty changing. Because they know no matter what, the lights are always going to go on. They're always going to be able to make a reservation on a Friday night. And they have exactly what they need materially to get by. So they're that much more reluctant to change in their relationships, in their mindsets. Because they have a world that in some ways is always going to validate their sense of power, influence, beauty. Simply because of what they have materially what is going to incentivize you to stop typically what incentivizes people to check their egos they're crippled in their bodies that is a big blow to the ego my dad did not really deal with the way that he treated people or the things he said until he got cancer and even then it took a romantic heartbreak for him to go to therapy and really begin to deal with the way that he talked to people thinks he said we don't need to bind ourselves to people that are going through a crisis for some greater good or connection that we think that we gain because that is the wrong thing to do it's simply the wrong thing to do because usually the people that they make big promises to us yet they live in a world dominated by ego they have difficulty keeping promises almost every time they only promise To boost their ego so it's not for our greater good for the relationship and if we want to be associated with an egoist then we have to check our own egos and if we think oh when this person comes off of it they're going to be great at loving maybe But I find myself less curious about certain kinds of pain the older I get. What you have to understand about people that are very egotistical is that they're already isolated from us. Because that internal crisis and that insecurity and that internalized anxiety that they find themselves externalizing towards us, it already keeps them distanced from us. It already makes it difficult to hold their hands or speak to them directly or feel them the way that we want to feel them. So it's not a matter of isolating, but it's a matter of detaching ourselves and untethering ourselves to them so that they do not harm our spiritual well being, our journey, our capacity to love is not tainted or affected. And it can hurt because sometimes we love people like that, and it's such a letdown. The words they say to us, speaking down on us, or how small they can make us feel. How invisible or insignificant. But we have to give grace and really say to ourselves sometimes, you're suffering and I see you and I pray that you will be freed from suffering. But I will not handcuff myself to you and your suffering because I'm trying to find peace. Dear Viv, I have tons of love for my ex-boyfriend, but I'm aware that we're not meant to be. He stated that we should remain friends. I cannot be in a genuine friendship with someone that I have intense feelings for. Since I've come into this realization, I feel as if I'm fighting my mind and heart. I prayed to God to guide me in the right direction and I haven't received a definite answer. I trust that you will provide me with proper advice moving forward. Is this just another process of love? Yeah, this is the ultimate process of love because this is the process in which you choose yourself. That is probably the biggest blessing and the highlight of these stages of our lives, where we can't tether ourselves to other people, when we can't ground ourselves in the sense of identity that a relationship often brings. And we are asked very definitely by life to take responsibility for the way that we feel and for our heart posture. You know, to quote Mary Oliver, Someone once gave me a box of darkness. It took me years to see that this too was a gift. When somebody that we give ourselves wholly to turns around and gives us back to us, it can feel like such a curse. It can feel like such a weight. And it's because so many of us do not want to take responsibility for ourselves. We rather be someone else's problem and to cushion it We say things like, oh, we'll just be friends. And I think I've grown out of that entirely. But if we can take the strength that it takes, the courage that it takes, the submission that it takes to say I've made up my mind to be good to me. I've decided on me. That is something to hold on to in these times. That is something worth holding on to. You say, quote unquote, I'm fighting my mind and my heart. And that's the irresponsible thing to do when someone brings us suffering, when a lover brings us suffering, when a dream brings us suffering, when a job brings us suffering. We are so used to saying, you know what would be great? If i caused myself more suffering there was a time when i looked around this last year of my life and so many things had let me down so many things that i had anticipated for such a long time and woke up and found they were all smoke and mirrors so many people i tried for years to earn their love so many times for so many people for so many lovers i tried to qualify myself and thought if you're just a little bit more this a little bit less of that a little bit smaller a little bit thinner a little bit less eager a little less honest and i warped myself and i fought myself and i tried to change myself until i found that what they required me to be was a direct antithesis of what god required me to be for the job that i really have to show up for and i'm not talking about a career placement or a vocation, I'm talking about showing up for me, who I really am, who I really have to be for myself. If I'm ever gonna find a semblance of happiness in this world, but more importantly, if I'm ever going to discover the truth, And I was willing to sacrifice that or put that at odds with myself for so long because I just wanted to be wanted. I just wanted to be somebody that loves somebody. And we all do. And I'm finally realizing that it's okay. That it's not the most shameful thing in the world to want somebody that you don't have to lie to. That it's okay to desire someone that wants you just as much as you want them to the same extent that you want them at the same time that you want them. That it's okay to want somebody to call up at the end of the day when you've had a bad day. That it's okay to want somebody to call up when things go right, to let them know how right they are. But when people show you and they tell you, I'm not the one and you can't hold on to me. When life shows you, This is not it, you suffer in trying to tie yourself, to handcuff yourself to some kind of position that makes you feel like you're not at a loss. Sometimes the growing up is taking the losses, sometimes the blessing is the betrayal, because it makes us puff up our chest and make a decision, even when it feels like we're weak and going without, to make a decision to say, I've made up my mind to be good to me, to choose me. And it feels like the hardest thing to do, especially for those of us Who spent our lives choosing everything else? Even if somebody decides to love us back, even if we get the dream job and we find ourselves exactly where we want to be doing exactly what we said we would do. We quickly come to the realization that no body, no position, no accolade, or any of the other things that we try to give ourselves away to can truly hold the immensity of who we are. And that we are blessed for the people that love us enough to tell us the truth, or at least don't hate us enough to lie to us, about their ability to take responsibility for our hearts. And the best thing that we do, and the gift we give ourselves, is to take responsibility for ourselves and say you deserve peace, to say you know the truth, And the truth is better than the lie. And it's how we become women, how we become grown women, grown men. Because as a child, when you know something has gone wrong, you're afraid to talk about it, to say what has happened or what you have done, because you fear the consequences of the truth. But as an adult, you should fear the consequences of the lie so much more. And the truth is, this person has let you go and that is a hard thing and my heart breaks for you. But there comes a time when you have to say in all the free floating and the weightlessness of this life, of all the things that will let you go, I will hold on to me. I'll be good to me. I'll make decisions that make me feel at peace. I will say the things I can live with. I will do things that are to the benefit of who I am tomorrow. And I will choose me, this body, this spirit, this loving, this mind. I'll choose me a million times. One of my favorite, favorite poems by Nayira Wahid, where she says, if someone does not want me, it is not the end of the world. But if I do not want me, the world is nothing but endings. The world is nothing but endings. Something someone told me recently really, really resonated with me. They said, sometimes it'll break your heart, but it won't change your destiny. But if you change your heart, it might very well change your destiny. And that meant everything to me because I looked back at all the times where I was not chosen or all the times when I got exactly what I wanted and I didn't want what I got, and none of it changed of what I am capable of, of where I'm going, I'll still get the dream. I still believe that there is significant, mind-numbing, life-altering love waiting for me. I believe I'll walk into a house one day that I'll marvel at, and I believe I am capable of changing this world. I believe that, and I know now having been broken more than most people will ever be broken. That nothing that I've been through will change the facts of my future. And that the only thing that can is that in these times where I am asked to let go of everything, I commit the worst of self-betrayal and attempt to hold on to everything while simultaneously letting go of me. When you feel untethered and at a loss, it's important to ground yourself in the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is, I am responsible for the way that I feel. The truth is, I am not the sum of the worst things that I have done. The truth is, I am not worthless or unworthy of love despite the people that passed me by. But probably the most significant truth at these times in life is that I am still on my way. I am going somewhere. And I will find myself, again, not lost, not longing, not grieving, not wishing but standing steady and firm with my head held high in a kind of triumph, I know I'll get there and I will hold on to my things, the trophies and markers that prove that this life can be sweet, good, beautiful, and sometimes so fair. But until then, I have to push against the trick of the mind that says, you have nothing, you are nothing, you've lost so much. I say, no, I have me, me, who is going somewhere. And when I tether myself to that simple fact and let it wash over me until it brings me peace and the knowledge that God is so real, that is sufficient for whatever is in front of me. And I'll leave you all today with something I wrote to myself, just shy of my 26th birthday. And many of you all have already seen it, but I want to read this to you and dedicate this to us. It's called a poem for myself on my 26th birthday. If life is mine for the taking, and it is, then I must choose. And despite the shame and question of tomorrow, I've made up my mind to be good to me. Even if I must choose, me in the corner, head down. Me in the love affair, dead wrong. Me in the bind, wiggling free. I choose me at the crossroads. I choose me down bad. I choose me up wishing. I choose me who came in the back door bolting out the front turning my back on all love that has run its course i choose me who should have known better and me who did but did not act and i choose redemption i choose me on the precipice diving in deeper than anyone has gone before i choose me in the prison yard i choose me at the prayer mat I choose me who asked for a second chance, then took 24 more, shamelessly, audaciously, grabbed a handful of sweetness, stuck it in my pockets despite the rising heat, and ran like the wind. Me who served yet was severed. Me who bent and was broken. Me desired and pitied. Me repenting and remitted. Me still on my mighty way. And I'm done. I am done finally ultimately supremely waiting to be chosen i leave you with those words and the promise that life does go on and on and on and to hold on to yourself both the best of you and the rest of you as i am holding on to myself giving her room and the grace to make all the mistakes she must make, forgiving myself for the things that I've said to myself. And when I find myself weightless, untethered, down bad, I return to me knowing that that's more than enough for the journey that I have ahead of myself. Two weeks from today, I will premiere my television show, Generational Anxiety, November 8th at 8 p.m. prime time on All Arts TV. You can stream it on the All Arts app, PBS app, on Amazon Video and Roku. And if you're looking for it, I know you'll find it. I just want to take this time to thank you all, my listeners, so genuinely and specifically because the voice in this show, a voice that I'm still very much looking for, was a voice I could only find confidence in because of what we have started here together. I began recording this episode in early August and some ideas, some things just take time to see themselves through and your patience and your love abounding, I feel it all the time in every letter of congratulations, every warm wish, every time we celebrate every win together. And it's not all a fairy tale, and I haven't yet found the gold at the end of the rainbow, but I know that this is really something. And as I find exactly what that something is, I'll share the best of it with you. But as I find myself posing for pictures and smiling for cameras and talking about the dream, I'm so glad to come home to you all. The love I don't have to lie to. Those of you who listened to my voice and believed in me when I had a hard time listening to my own voice and believing in me. And before the premiere, before the awards, which I hope for, Before I found myself in the rush of it all, I thank you so sincerely for always coming back here with me. What this show has given me, my first show, Ask Viv is my first show. The friends that it's brought into my life, the lessons, the authenticity, the way I don't have to compete for the limelight, just some real talk over a good beat it's come to mean more and more and more the truth you all tell me the truth we tell each other the truth i'm learning to tell myself that is worth holding on to and i want to hear you all's thoughts every one of you on this show because you know me better than most wishing you more life more love more of whatever it is you need today i'm bianca vivion And if you ever need anything at all, you can always, always ask
1: Viv.